you have, yes. we have a championship too. I mean, I don't, don't know. The, if, don't the bullets oh, have one? I, no, like no, the, no, I jumped into a thing where yep, I don't know. Yes, they, <laughs> I don't you, know. You took a leak I, and you didn't know what was down below. I, Never hey, dig straight down, man. Never dig straight down. Trust me, I, I've I've dug, I've jumped into a bunch of holes in this podcast. The beautiful thing is, I can edit this shit out because I'm the producer. <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by Bombas. Save twenty percent on your first order at www.getbombas.com slash holybackboard. Let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to pumping, cause it's real crazy time. Baby, Rip City's jumping now. Come on, everybody. All right, everybody, welcome to the 61st edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in icy Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, man. On this Skype chat, it looks like you're about to bust a hot 16 as well, man. It's it's crazy. Your mic's not in the picture. You look like you're about to drop the illest white boy freestyle in the world. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I was I tried to make it to Portland for that uh, Pistons game that got canceled. And my family was stupid and decided to leave once it got canceled. And uh, we uh, as we were driving down I-5, someone... Uh, rear-ended us and I took a lot of that front my back hurts my hip hurts but it's gonna take a lot more than a car accident to stop me from potting so I'm ready and I might be hurting but I'm I got enough for you that's the dedication we love and we are joined by a first-time guest uh you may know him on Twitter as Goldner PDX Brandon thank you for joining us uh give our fans a quick little intro um, about yourself what's up Dylan what's up Sage uh, my name is Brandon, and I am formerly of Blazer's Edge, and before that, formerly of Rip City Project. And I've done a little bit of podcasting. I've done some social media, ran the Blazer's Edge Twitter account for a while, I've done some graphic design, some video stuff, some writing stuff, some editing stuff. So I've done a little bit of basketball, a uh, little trailblazer stuff here and there. Uh, that's pretty much my story at this point. Yeah, you can find me at Goldner PDX to find my basketball musings and my terrible, terrible analysis. So if you want to make fun of me, Hit me up at Goldner PDX for sure. So, uh, Brandon, how long have you been a Blazers fan? Woo, I've been a Blazers fan for about as long as I can remember. I'm sure. Well, is it the same for you guys? Have you been Blazers fans pretty much? So, no, not you, Sage. No, I got I got Sage on. I've been working this good fight of trying to get Sage to put the Blazers ahead of the Pelicans. They're almost neck and neck, Ooh. but uh, – I used to work for the Blazers, so I used to score free tickets, and I would let my man go to all the games. And slowly but surely, he started coming around, and now he's co-hosting a Blazer-centric yeah, podcast. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing a Blazer-centric podcast. I break down Blazers basketball way more astutely than I do any Pelicans thing. I, I, I just watch Buddy Heald and Anthony Davis and hope we trade the rest of this t- that team. I, I think I'm more dedicated to the Blazers, but... There's just that thing. I've I've fucked with the Pelicans or Hornets for so long. It's hard to just let it go. But you know, I, I love both. I love both a lot. We'll see. And he There's... really hates. He really hates when the Blazers play the Pelicans now. Oh, it's like, the it, worst. It just... It's the worst. It's so much nervous energy. I'm tweeting everything I see. I really should just shut the fuck up and enjoy the game as much as i can but i just break down everything just nervous energy i hate it and the uh nba schedule makers 
put it on the last game of the season. Who the fuck knows what happens? The Blazers could be fighting for the eighth or tanking. Same with the Pelicans. So they really fucked me this year, and I don't appreciate it. I like three and done. Get them out of the way so I'm not the most villainous person in Rip City for a week. You know what I'm saying? Man, there's something to be said for having joined a team later in life, right? Because, I mean, people who've been fans the whole time, you feel kind of obligated. Like, oh, I've been fans since Clyde Drexler. And so now I have to keep being a fan. But someone who's actually a fan now, like later in life, I feel like I feel like that takes more work. I respect that quite a bit. Um, I don't have any secondary teams, really, but uh, just been a Blazers fan for about as long as I can remember. Used to collect basketball cards. So, like, I have this huge, I have, like, boxes and boxes full of, like, Fleer and hoops and like upper deck and like when Top Stadium Club first came out like that 91-92 Shack yeah I got a couple of those <laughs> you know um so and then there was like a period where I didn't really watch the team that much and then probably last like six seven years I've been way more into it and then like the last three or four I've been watching pretty much every game used to do recaps and stuff and so now it's like it is funny though it's age like you said like when you're watching a game like you want to watch it for fun right but then you also when you're trying to break it down and analyze it. And how do you do both at the same time? Like it can be tough. And I think that's why you get a lot of people who are reporters or journalists and they say, Oh, I'm not a fan. And they make, they make this really strong point. Like they want you to know, like they're definitely not a fan of the team. Like it's some bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing, but I do think it's tough to kind of separate. Like I want to watch for fun. And I all, I also want to watch it, break it down. So that's like, I don't know. That's pretty much where I'm at. Oh, at this I, point. I, I right. definitely agree with that. Like my break last year, we've done this show for two years. Last year it was easy to break down the, everything about the Blazers because I wasn't as passionate of a fan. Now it's just like, well, I don't want to hurt this guy's feelings by saying he sucks at defense, but I, I, I power through it almost always. So. Well, I mean, that's something that came up too, and not to take all the air out of the room, but when you're thinking about um, analyzing these players and when you're tweeting about them and you're writing about them, um, I mean, my, my personal opinion is if it's on court stuff, it's totally fair game. But even with that, there is a human element of it, isn't there? Because these are human beings. They're just like you and me. They're our age or maybe a little bit younger in some cases, which is weird. I mean, I'm 32 now. God damn. It's, su- <laughs> it's, so, it's so weird. No, I'm old. It's so <laughs> weird to see these players are all like, if they're older than me, they're super old. But I mean, they're they're young, young people. And they do, they hear this stuff and they hear the criticism. Like what I, I can imagine, like if I were like putting together like a spreadsheet at work and people are like, oh, Brandon totally sucks at putting together that spreadsheet. I could do it way better or whatever. Like it would be kind of weird, right? So I don't know. I mean, there is always that part of it. You know that you're writing about these people. You know that they're reading it and stuff. I don't know. That's always kind of creeps me out a little bit. That Excel spreadsheet formula was trash, Brandon. Oh, that if value true, then <laughs> equals something else. That's terrible. That's not the way I do it. I, I, I'm just starting to feel bad that there's, people on their second contract that I'm older than now. It's start it's starting to hit me that I'm not the the young young whippersnapper I was only a few years ago. So, yeah, I, I totally get it. It's super weird like cuz LeBron James is my age, right? And like I I for I think of LeBron is for some reason like being way older than me cuz I've known of him since he was a teenager. And so, oh, he's about he's a professional basketball player. I'm you know, some dude who's like taking too long to finish high school. Right. And so it's like, but it's weird now. It's like, he's 32. He's, you know, he's showing his age a little bit as far as basketball players are concerned. Still obviously dominant, you know, best player in the NBA, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it is just, it's really weird. I mean, I'm kind of almost waiting to get to that point where I'm like old enough towards like, okay, everybody's just younger than me and I'm just going to accept it because right now it's kind of like, ah, they older, they younger. I don't know. It's just weird. 
I, I, I think Dustin's already the veteran of his workplace. All of them are just mad young kids. Like, I feel old when I hang out with them. So I, I think Dustin's got that veteran, grizzled veteran swag about him. Never forget, I'm 31, turned 32 this year. I am still considered a millennial. So suck on that, Sage. Well, let, <laughs> let's be honest. You're definitely the more likable of the, the hosts of the Holy Backwards. So you'll always have that going for you. No, you're both likable. Come on. Except for all that shit you talked about me before we started airing. <laughs> oh, <I> know. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, man. Uh, let's get into it, guys. Uh, the Blazers had, I would consider, a typical Blazers week. One step forward, two steps back. They played what I considered a very competitive and good good game against the Warriors in Golden State last Wednesday. They ended up losing 125-117. to Probably could have won that game had they been more consistent with their jump shot down the stretch. And it looks like CJ really got tired. Uh, no Dame. But it wasn't a 45-point loss. For that, I was thankful. We bounced back the next night, and we got down pretty big in the second quarter to the Lakers. Their bench, Nick Young, uh, Lou Williams really came on strong. But Portland fought back again. Damian Lillard returned, but it was CJ who has been on fire. He had 27. Portland wins 118-109. Then there was this awkward game. Is it going to get played? Is it not going to get played? Uh, It was postponed against the Pistons on Saturday due to the ice storm. They did play it last night, and it was a classic. Detroit did walk away with the 125-124 double overtime victory. CJ had 35. He had two clutch threes to send the game into overtime each time, but it wasn't enough. And I, I tweeted this from the Holy Backboard account. If the Blazers are serious about climbing the Western Conference playoff ladder, you cannot lose to sub-500 teams in the Eastern Conference, let alone at home. Uh, They should have put this game away a long time. They were up seven going into the fourth quarter. They were up five with like 90 seconds left, and they let Caldwell Pope hit two threes. Uh, They just gave away a couple possessions down the stretch. And I don't know what to do with this team. I think we're almost halfway through the season. I believe Portland is 16-23 and on the year, which puts them two games away from the midpoint. But I'm going to pose this question to you. Is this team right now what they are going to be through the end of the season because they haven't shown the ability to stay consistent. And that's really what you have to do to be more than the eight seed in this year's Western Conference. I think the one thing that gives me even a little tiny bit of hope is seeing what they did with their defense when Damian Lillard was out, right? Because the Blazers have had this kind of this, this ice defense where you have the guards going over screens. You have like a lot of switching, not a whole lot of trapping, not a whole lot of hedging. And they've been doing that for years. They've been doing that since they had Robin Lopez and Nick Batum and Wesley Matthews and, you know, good defenders, LaMarcus Aldridge, an underrated defender himself. And so Stotts has taken that system and he continues to run it with players who may not be best suited for that system. And we saw when Damian Lillard was out, they switched up their defense, their defensive scheme. They started trapping a lot more. They had game plans defensively that were specifically targeted to the players that they were playing. And the Blazers did a lot better. There was a stretch, I think, for four or five games where they were the top five in defensive rating in the NBA, which was not something that you would ever have seen coming, even for a small stretch of games with this team, the way they played defense this year, right? So Damian Lillard comes back. Their system seems to go back to what it was before. Their defense doesn't quite seem as good as it was before Damian was, I mean, didn't seem as good it was as it was when he went out. 
and I'm not saying it's Damian Lillard's fault. I don't think that's the case. But as far as looking at this team and what they can be, I unfortunately, I mean, they don't have another move they can make to just manufacture a bunch of wins, right? They can't take a Noah Vonley out of their starting rotation, right? They, they're they're at their basically their maximum amount of changes they can make. So this defensive thing, I think that is something that they need to look at very long and hard. Now that Damian Lillard is back, how can you incorporate him into that scheme? I don't know if it's because he doesn't want to do it. I don't know if it's just coincidence and maybe they thought the opponents didn't lend themselves to that new kind of more aggressive defensive scheme. Uh, but if I'm a Blazers fan, I'm looking for them to really go back to what they were doing when Damian Lillard is out and try to get that defense back to at least acceptable, um, if not good. Yeah, and what I was watching during that game, and I really saw the turning point, Myers Leonard was in the game, and Detroit automatically ran that pick and roll. And Myers, went, he reverted back to the old Blazer defense of not coming up and taking control of the ball handler. He sagged back. And there was a good two to three feet between Reggie Jackson and Myers Leonard. And Reggie, that's when he really started to roll. Uh, we all remember what he did last season in the Moda Center, uh, completely taking over that game. He took over the game again. He had 31 points on 50% shooting. And the Drummond-Reggie Jackson pick and roll, it was like deja vu all over again for Blazer fans because this is exactly what we saw November of 2015. And... Thankfully, Stotts yanked him out of the out of the lineup and brought Mason back in. I thought, oh, maybe it was just Stotts. They were going back to that defensive scheme. But as soon as Plumlee got in, he was out blitzing. He was hedging. He was making life a little more difficult for Reggie Jackson. So maybe that's a Myers thing. Maybe it was a Stotts thing. I don't know. But I think we've seen enough of that type of pick-and-roll defense to know that Portland just cannot do that in today's day and age in the NBA. Point guards are too good at shooting the basketball. Reggie Jackson's not even an all-star. He's probably not even close to being an all-star in the Eastern Conference, yet he looked first-team All-NBA against us, and this is not the first time it's happened. So I'm with you. I want to see more of that defense. We're not good enough to go man-to-man straight up. We need to switch. We need to blitz, and we need to just generate turnovers because this team is long, they're young, and they need to get on on the break. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And the other thing that I think a lot of fans are looking for is, is this team going to make a trade? And I don't mean to spoil the rest of the podcast if we're going to talk about trade rumors, but just to say if the lens that you're looking at this through right now is given their current personnel, what is it that they can do? Well, the offense is going to take care of itself. So like you said, the defense has got to be what comes. And you're right. I just want to just to reiterate a point that you made, which was that perhaps it's not necessarily a matter of Stotts going back to the old defense. It's just a matter of the players are not used to it and they're lapsing. That's totally fair. And I mean, defense in particular, it takes a long time to communicate with one another. You need time to do that. You need, you know, multiple, multiple games, dozens of games. And with that, they're incorporating, you know, Evan Turner looks more or less about as comfortable as he's ever going to look. But I mean, he's still relatively new. And some of these players are still relatively speaking new to either getting starters minutes or getting serious rotation minutes. And defenses take years to really gel um, in some cases, especially if you have substandard defensive players. They're going to really be relying upon that communication and that knowledge of each other in order to, to make the best of what they have. So, yeah, I pretty much agree with you. What were your thoughts on late game situation by Terry Stotts taking Dame and CJ both out of the lineup for defensive purposes? Super smart. Yeah. I, I mean, and you saw some folks on Twitter who were questioning that. Why would you take your best players out? Well, they're not your best defensive players at all. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was stoked about that. I thought that that was the right move. And I think that Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are not the kinds of players who are going to, you know, get upset about that sort of a change. You're going to know, look, 
<laughs> they both said it. They're they're not great defenders, and so I think that as long as the team is doing what they can to give their bet their best chance to win, I think that they're pretty much down with it. So I mean, that would be the only thing I'd be concerned about is going to affect their morale, and I I don't think so. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, that's a great move, Stotts. But then I was telling my wife after the game, I was like, wait, we just had to pull our best two players off of the court because they can't defend. That's just like, even though we all have known it and seen it, that is just like the major red flag for me, thinking we don't have any two-way players. Mo Harkless is about as close to a two-way player as we have. And for a team banking their next five years on Dame and CJ, Either one, we need to get better interior defenders, or two, they need to improve their own perimeter defense because this season has shown it's it's not working. And no, I'm not ready to give up on them as a backcourt. I, I love their chemistry. I love watching them play. I like the fact that we drafted them, so essentially they're homegrown. But that was kind of like an aha moment for me, like, holy shit, we had to take our two best players out of the game in crunch time on defense because... Reggie Jackson was going to go left, and they had no chance of stopping him. I mean, why can't we do both? How come we can't have better personnel surrounding them defensively, and they get better? Well, that's the thing. I mean, and this has been done to death, but Damian Lillard, why is it that he dies on every screen he gets caught on? This dude is in such incredible shape. He's got such great balance. He's relatively stout. I mean, you see him, his post defense is actually really, really good. Like he's fine with players backing into him and stuff. So I'm always, I'm always curious. This can't possibly be a physical limitation thing. Yes. He's not the biggest point guard. I get it. But this is, this is something about either, either just a, a mental hiccup or something process related that has not been either pointed out to him or he's not working on. I mean, I just, every year, I think he's going to get better at this. He's going to get better at this. And you just don't see all that much improvement. It's just bizarre. I think Dame and CJ both would benefit from a weak side shot blocker because you see them a lot of the times they kind of feed them to that that center. Mason's just not that guy. And we saw when we had Robin Lopez, he would do like a much better job on that pick and roll. I really think Dame and CJ are never going to be all world defenders. I think they could get to mediocre, but they would benefit from a guy like Hassan Whiteside. And if he would have signed, I think he would have solved every problem that the Blazers have essentially uh, right now, I think the Blazers have a ton of parts, but they're trying to shove these square pegs into round holes, so to speak. And they've got a lot of square pegs and they've got a lot of round holes and it's just not working. So, you know, January 15th is coming up. That is the, the deadline that uh, makes Alan Crabb eligible. I believe he still has a, a no, not a no trade clause, but he can uh, veto any trade to any team this year. But Mo Harkless is available to be dealt. Myers Leonard, all players who signed uh, can now be moved up until February's trade deadline. So uh, we saw the first trade domino moved uh, early last week when Kyle Korver was shipped to the Atlanta, or excuse me, from the Atlanta Hawks to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Portland was in on that deal early on and I think made out very well. The 2017 draft is supposed to be very strong. So Right now, they swapped that 18 pick for the 17, currently slated for 28 um, to facilitate that deal. But there have been a lot of names already rumored. You know, we've got Paul Millsap. Uh, we have heard Brooke Lopez. Mark Stein has reported it's going to cost two first-round picks to get Brooke Lopez. We've heard Miami is thinking of tanking and just blowing it up since Dwayne Wade left. Uh, Goran Dragic is available, maybe even Hassan Whiteside. Uh, Sage, are there any players out there that you think, and no, excuse me, we also heard Tyson Chandler's name being rumored to Portland. Of all the names that Portland's been linked to, does anyone really knock your socks off? And if so, is there a realistic package that Portland could acquire them for? 
I don't want uh, the only trade that I've heard of. I mean, because I've, I've been traveling a lot, is that Tyson Chandler trade, and I vehemently don't want that. I love Tyson Chandler. I loved him on New Orleans. He's old, and that contract is horrendous. Yeah, he can help us with the rebounds and would be a good mentor, but my God, are we really trying to spend more money on one-way players? Because all Tyson can do is catch oops on pick-and-rolls. It's not... I don't think he's a Blazers guy. I mean, Brooke Lopez, his injuries don't scare me anymore because it's been like three years of health, but I am i don't think he'd be a, a good player on in, the, in this scheme. What do you think, Brandon? Uh, Tyson Chandler, I mean, he's old. He's got a big contract. He's been playing well this year. He can set a good screen. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't know what the Blazers would have to give up to facilitate that. And it just doesn't seem like a very smart move. I mean, Olshay has said again and again, oh, I'm going to get players on the same timeline as Damon CJ. Well, Tyson Chandler is not that. And he's also not the piece to get you over the hump. So that trade doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, Brooke Lopez would be interesting if you really were just not caring about defense at all like if you had someone brooke lopez is a quasi number one option on offense um and even though he's a twin brother to robin lopez he does not have robin's defensive chops by any stretch in fact it'd be really interesting to see robin lopez on this blazers team by the way that would oh, be absolutely. so bad absolutely you know i mean i would oh. love to have taj gibson and uh, robin lopez on this team Just yeah the, the bulls front line and our backcourt oh yeah that'd be fantastic that'd be sick the the name that that i am most interested in uh, is Nerlens Noel um, out of the 76ers. He's been kind of a malcontent, uh, you know, the playing time between, you know, himself and Embiid and Okafor. He hasn't been too stoked about it. And he's actually been talking to the press about how, hey, I want to get more minutes. I don't deserve to be, you know, log jammed into less than 10 minutes a game. And the 76ers need someone like an Alan Crabb, say. And I, I think that that makes the most sense. And by the way, this this talk about, Tyson Chandler, Neil Olshay doesn't talk a whole lot and he doesn't have a lot of leaks. This could be a classic misdirection of make other teams think that the Blazers are interested in someone else while you're pursuing a second person. So fingers crossed that they're doing that in hopes of getting Nerlens Noel. But I could see a package around Nerlens Noel and Alan Crabb working out. It would really benefit both sides oh, too. Absolutely. So I'd be, I'd be down with that for sure. I mean, the, the Sixers yeah. don't really have any shooters outside of Robert Covington. So AC would spread the floor and then when Ben Simmons comes back, it's another D and three two guard. I mean, Gerald Henderson's their starter now, so it, it's it's a lack of shooting. And I mean, Nerlens is so pissy about not playing. It's it it's it seems like it would work, but I, you know, it, it, this is real life, not NBA two K. Not everything actually happens, so it, it, it's going to be interesting to see what the Blazers do. I think they'll do something, but. It might be out of left field. Like maybe they say, "Fuck it, let's get Greg Monroe." And and, and oh, I, trust me, I don't like him. But no, Neil's had no, a motor no, for no, him no. for a while. No, let's pass on that. But back to Nerlens Noel, Brandon. You mentioned he complained to the media, and it looks like after Christmas he racked up three minutes to the Kings. Ever since then, over his last five games, um, only once did he play under nineteen minutes. Um, he's hovering around 12 points, uh, about six boards. He's getting a block per game. His per for the year is over 24, which is pretty incredible for um, a player who's seen his time go kind of scattered across 
um, the year, which is really difficult, especially for a young player to get into that rhythm. Jalil Okafor is actually the third big who's act- who's found himself on the DMP list. So I think one of those two bigs is available if you're Portland. Um, I know Portland needs defense, but a, I would go after Okafor if he's available too, just because he was the third pick in the draft. I, I don't, he never wanted to go to Philadelphia from the get go. I think he's, he's like a Mo Harkless type of player to me who just got lost in the shuffle in Orlando and just needs a change of scenery, change of scenery. Yes, we would need to get another four. Um, but he's a guy who would solve our low post scoring. Um, and if you could get him for cheap, again, we're not trying, talking giving up CJ or a lot of picks to get this guy. But I like either of the Philly bigs. If we're able to get Nerlens or we're able to get Okafor, I'd be down with that. The guy who's been interesting to me is Hassan Whiteside. Uh, it would be tough pill to swallow if we had to give up a lot to get him because he could have just signed with us and we would be fine right now. Uh, he did say Portland was a second choice. But if the price is a late first, maybe a guy like Alan Crabb, if you can, if you can minimize the cost, I think Whiteside, a tree of Whiteside, Dame, and CJ really puts Portland back to that projection that they were on at the end of the last season. I think that's fair. I think Miami is going to be looking for a pretty decent haul for Whiteside. I mean, it's funny because he's, you think of him, he's only been in the league really for a couple of years, but he's a little older. He's like 26, something like that, 27. Look at me say a little bit older. And I, anyway, uh, I'm 32. Um, you know, they're probably going to want multiple first round picks and an asset in exchange for that. So when you think about the trade that the Blazers just helped the Cavs facilitate, the Blazers now do have two first round picks in this upcoming draft. And I believe they have the first round pick in the following year's draft. As we all know, and for the listeners as a team, you have to have one draft pick in the first round every other year. So that means you just can't blow all your picks forever. So the Blazers actually do. There are scenarios in which the Blazers could offer Miami multiple first round picks. Of course, if you're talking about the Cavs pick, it's going to be a late first round pick. The Blazers own picks going to be pretty middling. Whether or not Miami would bite on that, I don't know. But yeah, Whiteside, if you think that he is going to be motivated and stay motivated, he would be absolutely incredible and would probably probably give the Blazers the best shot to maximize their Dame and CJ lineup. Because again, if you're thinking that the core moving forward is Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, you are going to need some kind of transcendental defender at either the four or the five to make that work just because they're both so terrible at defense themselves. So I agree, Whiteside would be amazing. Yeah, and the knock on Hassan was, okay, once he gets this contract, he's going from an NBA minimum to a maximum player. He's just going to dog it and call call you know a good solid four to five years. That hasn't been the case this year. He increased his scoring from 14 to 17. His rebounds are up from eight and a half to 10 and a half, or excuse me, from 14 to or from 12 to 14 uh his blocks have dipped block and a half a game but overall he's still got a per of around 22 you know you're getting 17 and 14 and two blocks from a center who is only 27 years old he's seven feet tall he's mobile he's agile and he solves really every problem you have i am a huge draft nut but i have no problem giving out both of our picks and an asset as long as it's not cj because you can win with a core of dame cj and, and Whiteside. Um, they're all on the same timeline, and that's the guy who I'm going for if I'm Neil. I, Tyson Chandler does absolutely nothing for me. Um, Brooke Lopez, again, we're just not close enough for him to make an impact. Same with Paul Millsap. I think you have to go either young in terms of the Philly bigs or more of a Dame CJ timeline who's already an all-star type player, which is is white side in my opinion. That's a huge needle mover if we, if we end yeah. up with them. It's just huge. 
Neil has been talking about Needle Mover since he joined this franchise. Where is it? I, I think it's 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 not put up or shut up time for Neil, but he assembled this roster with a trade in mind. The roster is significantly underperforming expectations. We're a top five payroll in the NBA. Uh, it's time. Like it's time for you to make your money, Neil. The biggest needle moving the biggest needle moving move Neil's had so far is letting Lamarcus walk in free agency for nothing. Burn. I mean, I, I said it last week. It was we have way too many C C plus assets. It's time to trade those and get an upgrade a needle moving player. So it, Hassan would be the definition of that. Yeah, and I again, I think that it's it's funny when you think about how highly valued first round picks are in the league because when I think about it, I think about okay. When you're trading for a player, they're a known entity. You know their strengths and weaknesses in the NBA system. And draft picks are very hit and miss. I mean, Anthony Bennett. Anthony Bennett was never a first a, a number one pick style player. We he was a bad pick when they picked him, but he's out of the league already. I mean, you have tons of players that have been drafted in the top fifteen who had potential and haven't worked out. Thomas Robinson now with the Lakers among you know one of those picks who I mean he was drafted above. Remember Thomas Robinson was drafted above Damian Lillard. Above Damian Lillard, that's wild. I, I, thought, I thought he was going to be a beast, but I did too. Yeah. I did too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not not and the, the garbage man he is, but I thought he was going to be a straight out beast. But, but but I think the reason NBA play, people like it so much is because of the unknown. What if we pull out a diamond in the rough that no one else thought? I think I like the entity that's already proven, but I can see why people like the unknown of the draft. Yeah, Brandon, you mentioned collecting cards. I collected cards a lot growing up as well. And if you were to say, hey, you can have two packs of Skybox, or you can have this David Robinson or, or maybe a Terry Porter card, I'm taking the two packs of cards because I might pull something better. And there's that unknown. There's just that kind of mystique surrounding a draft pick. And Neil has the golden gut. Neil is a fantastic drafter. And I think that's his best attribute, maybe outside of being a player's GM. So give him as many chances as possible to hit that home run. I mean, he already got Damon CJ for us. Um, That's why I'm not super stoked about hanging around this eight seed. Give us a good lottery pick and let's build around the lotto pick Damon CJ because Neil doesn't miss very often. So here's a question. If the Blazers were going to pivot away from win now and and go into a rebuild, which I mean, you could argue they were trying that last year and the team didn't let them. They played too well, right? So what would you see as a reasonable move to get the Blazers maybe better positioned for the future, considering their assets? What are what are some of the moves that you would maybe like to see if the Blazers did pivot away from win now and, and, and toward maybe a, a kind of a, a future outlook? I mean, that's a fantastic question. Really something I ask myself all the time. I don't think it needs to be a total rebuild, but you mentioned pivot. I think they just need to step backwards and look at the, the lay of the land. Obviously, you're not winning the title this year. Obviously, you're not having the type of season that you wanted. Houston's really having that type of season that we envisioned Portland having this year after going to the second round of the playoffs, having that young roster, et cetera, et cetera. For me, I think the biggest puzzle, puzzle piece, excuse me, is Mason Plumley. He's going to be a restricted free agent. Neil kind of got burnt on re-signing all of his restricted free agents. Uh, they came at the worst possible time because the cap just skyrocketed. It's going to go even higher next year. So Plumlee's going to get paid in full. Uh, I don't know if you can really let Mason stay for you know, $15, $14 million a year and, and stay at this current level of play. I think Mason 
he has been an amazing player this year. He's really surpassed all my expectations when we acquired him from Brooklyn. Probably been our third most consistent player. And his passing is fabulous. But what we need really is low post scoring and defense, two aspects that he just doesn't provide. Mason is a guy I would look to move to see if you could get a pick. Um, Ed Davis, uh, unfortunately, one of my favorite players, has really regressed. He's on a really team-friendly contract. I think you can move him to get another young asset. Um, bring in more guys like, I think, Aminu, guys who are going to play defense, who can pro- – 3 and D. I think we need more 3 and D guys, younger players, and maybe – I know I said younger players, maybe like a vet too. Like we had Chris Kamen last year. Can we just get the guy maybe on a really cheap deal, but who has been there, done that, and kind of just – help Dame and CJ lead this team through the tough times because I think it's really rough to ask Dame, who has really been handed the keys to the franchise since day one, to shoulder all of the burden. I think it would be nice to give him somebody to take a little bit of the pressure off of. That's what I would do in a nutshell. Well, that person was supposed to be Evan Turner, right? I mean, when he was signed, like, oh, guys, we got a third ball handler now, and Evan Turner. And I mean, granted, he's been playing better lately, but what Evan Turner is good at is pounding the air out of the ball and taking a weird contested mid-range shot that is super flat and goes in sometimes. But yeah, I I mean, if it were me and I were the Blazers, I would be, I I would be in a very odd spot with Mason Plumlee. The guy almost had a triple double last night. He was two points shy. You can actually see him (laughs) near the end of the game. He was really looking to see if he could find a way to score and couldn't quite do it, but he's such an amazing passer. He does facilitate so much of the Blazers offense in really subtle ways that are even sometimes hard to pick out in the box score, but you just watch the way when the ball is really zipping around and things are moving and he comes out to the high post and those little passes he makes on cuts that like you don't even see them until he's already thrown the ball and throwing them ahead of the players. So they have a chance to catch up to it. I mean, he's incredible, but I mean, the thing that I'm thinking is what if you got a really, really good defensive minded power forward to pair with someone like Mason Plumlee? I'm not sure if it would involve a in, in a trade of that sort or Harkless or one of those two, but imagine like a Biombo type, like maybe not Biombo himself, who has regressed quite a bit this year, but someone like him, um, maybe uh, at a Serge Ibaka type, who's also regressed a little bit this year, but someone who could play a lot of defense at the four and maybe open things up for Mason Plumley to facilitate the way he does at the five. Would that work at all for this Blazers team or is that not quite enough? I mean, I think you're describing Paul Millsap to a T. Yeah, he's the second and- rated uh, defensive power forward in the NBA. And like we mentioned on the last podcast, if we were anywhere near fourth or third, you go all in on Paul. Like that, if you have a chance to get to the conference finals, make the final four of the NBA playoffs, you do it. But the team is just regressed so heavily that I don't know, even if you, I just, I don't know with this team anymore. It's so frustrating because they will look amazing one night in Minnesota without Dame, play tough against the Spurs and Warriors. And then really they almost lost to the Lakers and then blew a game against the Pistons. So it's really tough to say what will get them going. I, I'm not certain what what's going on. I think there, there's something going on. And if you read the ESPN article, I think Chris Haynes wrote it. He mentioned that Festus Azili had like a really passionate speech uh, in Milwaukee after the team lost and then tried to do it again or in M- Memphis and did it again in Milwaukee. CJ cut him off per reports. Um, I can understand both sides of that scope. On one hand, you want to listen to Festus because he's won a ring. He's been there. He's done that. He's been to two finals. On the other hand, in the NBA brotherhood, if you're not playing, you probably should shut up. Um, that's what that's what the players are thinking. They're like, hey, we're actually out there, blood, sweat, and tears every night. You're sitting on the bench cashing these checks. Um, I don't think it's as black and white as that, but you kind of get the gist of it. 
So maybe there are some internal rumblings that just haven't been brought out because I, don't, I can't think of anything else of what it is. I mean, we're One not there, that, so we don't know. I can I can pretend like I am there. No, just kidding. One thing that I one thing that I think honestly, this Evan Turner signing was. I mean, I I know that oftentimes the trades and the free agent signings that happen seem to maybe come out of left field a little bit. Like it's not like every GM is telegraphing their moves ahead of time and telling you what they should have done after it didn't happen, unless you're Danny Ainge, who has a little bit of a problem with that. But um, Evan Turner coming in really changed the dynamic of the team. Because you did, you had this offense that was very free-flowing, very pass-heavy, pass-oriented, and you bring in Evan Turner, who pretty much needs the ball in his hands in order to operate. So my working theory, with absolutely no insider knowledge whatsoever, is that the addition of Evan Turner, he's not a bad guy or anything like that, just the addition of him and his dynamic kind of changed the the temperature of the team. And I don't know if that that explains why Alan Crabb wasn't looking so hot early on. He's looking a lot better now. I don't think it probably has anything to do with, with Ed Davis. Um, and by the way, Ed Davis was like, he was shooting like 60 something percent last year. And he's, I mean, everything about Ed Davis is so disappointing, but I just, I feel like Evan Turner on this team, just, it, you could say that maybe it's an adjustment period. You could say that maybe it changed the dynamic of the team, but I really think that had more of an effect than some people give it credit for. Yeah. It, it might be more, I think residual effect in terms of, like ripple effect like it goes down to alan crab not getting looks he was getting because offensively portland's numbers are better we're putting up 108 points per game this year which is fifth compared to 105 last year which was sixth i don't think offense was the issue i was expecting a little bit more from evan turner defensively although i will give him a shit ton of credit he completely locked down reggie jackson on that last play did not let him go left played a fantastic defense um but overall i i was under the impression that he was going to be not Avery Bradley, but he came from that Boston team where you play defense. Um, I haven't seen that this year from Evan. Again, it could be scheme. It could be something else. But I think there could be something to the signing where maybe Alan Crabb's like, hey, I thought I was going to be the guy off the bench. Alan probably wants to start, to be perfectly honest. Um, I'm just not certain. Speaking of coming out of left field, I think the Turner signing was completely out of left field. But it could be worse. We could be saddled with more money for Chandler Parsons, who was a worse player and can't even stay healthy. Uh, you give Neil another shot at that. I'm certain he probably tries to go after a big man instead. I thought Evan would provide that third ball handle like we were talking about. Um, and it's not that I don't think Evan Turner's a bad player. He's picked it up a lot lately, and I, I'm still you know, liking watching him play. But I, I often think of times outside of that Lakers game, maybe a couple others, he hasn't really impacted the game. Like you could take Evan Turner away from the team and I don't think it, like you look at the ESPN trade machine and you do these trades, it says Hollinger's analysis, how many wins does it affect? I think it's probably a zero. Like Evan Turner probably doesn't give us any more wins or any less wins this year. And I think that's probably the biggest disappointment you have. But at the same time, I don't think you can place all of that blame on ET. No, I mean, his signing took, Evan Turner himself by surprise if reports are to be believed that he couldn't even believe he got that much money, which is wild. And the other part of it too is the Blazers needed to spend that money this season or else it was going away. Exactly. And, they were, and it, it's bad timing, right? Because even though the cap is going up next year, teams are going to have less money to spend than they did this year. I mean, a lot of teams blew a lot of money this year. I think you're actually see you're not, you're not in my view, you're not going to see as many of those insane contracts next year as you saw this season. And the other thing about Evan Turner too, I mean, we we talked it to death. He's not necessarily a great fit for the system, in my opinion. 
again, when you have a system that really values ball movement, that really values passing the ball, and you have a player like Evan Turner who operates best with his back to the basket, it's, it's you don't get enough from that style of play from Evan Turner, I think, to to justify um, all of the other you know various things about him being in that system that maybe don't work. And he can't shoot. If if Evan Turner could dribble and create his own office and, and and shoot, if he could also act as a safety valve out on the corner three, I mean Stotts is letting him shoot those shots, but he's not shooting all that well. What is he in the in the low thirties, maybe around thirty percent from three? It is up from twenty five percent last year, though. That is true, and that's uh, that. You know, improvement is improvement, and that's I mean you see Alfred Camino last year had a career year from three this year he's really regressed back to the mean or maybe he's having a down year depending on how you want to look at it so Stotts wants you to shoot those shots but again if he could just maybe shoot a little bit better and by the way I would love to see more players completely break down their shot mechanics like over a summer or maybe even over an entire NBA season I think players like Evan Turner and Al Farouk Aminu could benefit greatly from just changing the way they shoot. I mean, watch Al Farouk Aminu shoot. Even the ones that go in look terrible. I mean, they've got so much arc on them. And these are professional athletes. I get that they've been doing it a certain way for a long time, but I wish that were more like a thing, right? That I'm going to break my shot down and rebuild it. I would love to see that. But has that, has that ever happened though? I know it sounds easy enough to do, but think about it. We pick up a basketball four or five years old and we shoot the same way that we've done. I have kind of a funky jump shot. And as much as I tried to change it, it just never felt natural any other way. And I really can't think of any other player, maybe outside of Tristan Thompson, who decided to shoot with his other hand, that has successfully done that. So I think it's just one of those things, almost like the way you walk, the way you talk. It's If you can change that, you're the exception, not really the rule. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Tony Allen shoots corner threes all day, and it just isn't working. I know for a fact Austin Rivers was practicing free throws for hours after practice, and they just don't go in. I mean, shooting isn't a natural thing for some players. And I mean, Al Farouk, Austin Rivers, Tyreek Evans, the shit's hard. Um, but I, I, th- I think Evan Turner is, in one specific situation, is really good, and I can predict when he's going to be good. Any other time, there's not a small guard for him to bully on. I can just... I already know. Oh, this is a bad game. And that's why in DFS when you're playing it when Everton's playing a small guard, you play that motherfucker and save some money. For sure. I mean, he has been better. I mean, he started the year historically terrible. I mean, across the board terrible. Too many turnovers, wasn't shooting. So now at least he's doing the things that he can do and he's doing them well. And I'm not cringing every time he has the ball. So I guess I guess that's something. I, I still cringe a little. He doesn't make the best decisions in transition, and that kind of pisses me off when I just see him run into a, a, a teammate and the ball goes out of bounds. I saw that twice in against Chicago. So there's still some things that piss me off or when he dribbles off his shoe and it goes out of bounds. There's still some things Evan can work on to be a better, but he's definitely upped his game a lot. Yeah, and to touch on your point, Brandon, before we move on, it was the perfect storm for opposing GMs this summer. The cap just completely skyrocketed. Portland had three young restricted free agents that a lot of player, a lot of teams could throw money at, and we had CJ's extension uh, that we had to take care of. Dame's extension kicked in, and we had money that we had to spend. I, I think that fans forget about this. It's not like you could roll it over. Um, it's not like your vacation or PTO time. It doesn't roll over. You have to use it or lose it. 
and it wasn't a particularly strong uh, free agent class. And Neil gambled with this team, and right now it's coming up snake eyes. But I think we should give Neil a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, just given all the situations. It was really a clusterfuck of what could go wrong can go wrong, and it is. But that's the life of a Trailblazer fan. Yeah, that's fair. And the other thing, too, this team is one or two trades away, at least, right? So I don't think any of us sitting here are seriously evaluating Neil Olshay's talent acquisition based on the fact that they haven't made the trades they need to make yet. So after those go down, I think we're going to have a better sense of what this team can and cannot do. And who knows? Maybe a team is going to make a panic trade. Maybe the 76ers give up Nerlens for some weirdly small amount. You don't know. I mean, something funky could happen. Another team, another name we're not even thinking of could enter the picture. So yeah, I'm willing to give it, you know, this year, a couple trades, maybe another year before I really start digging in too hard. All right. I think it's time for our first commercial break. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard podcast, Bombas is offering an opportunity to save 20% off your first order at getbombas.com slash holybackboard. Bombas is an online retailer of premium, high-performance athletic leisure socks for the whole family. Bombas socks have been engineered and designed to look better, feel better, and most importantly, perform better. Simply put, they are the most comfortable socks you'll ever put on your feet, and you'll feel good about the purchase. For every pair you buy, Bombas donates a special pair to those in need, and they have been engineered for their specific needs, and they've donated over a million pairs. Thank you, Bombas, for your sponsorship, and now back to the show. Looking ahead, Portland has another three-game, excuse me, a four-game week because they play the, the Wizards on MLK Day. We've got we've got the Lakers uh, in uh, Los Angeles at Staples Center tomorrow at seven thirty. Back to back against LeBron's Cavs uh, Wednesday, Friday against the struggling Orlando Magic at home, and then it's off on the road for the first of a four game road trip back east. It starts MLK Day eleven a.m. Portland time in Washington against the Wizards. Uh, let's touch on these games and what we're going to be looking for. First up, the Lakers. I thought they played Portland extremely tough uh, this past Thursday on TNT. As we mentioned, they their bench really took control of that game in the second quarter, and Portland really struggled to put them away. And even watching the game, and as satisfied as I was to beat the Lakers, it was kind of a, that shouldn't have been that hard to do. Uh, Los Angeles got really... Everything they wanted from D'Angelo Russell, he had 22 points, but it, like I said, the bench. Jordan Clarkson, 21, Lou Williams, 10, and Nick Young, 13. They are going to play better at home. Young teams do that. What does Portland have to do to avoid a two-game losing streak going into Cleveland? Well, they have to play well, and they have to score more points. No, just kidding. Um, I mean, D'Angelo Russell also had a decent game. I mean, his shooting wasn't all that good. Um, but I mean, I think that if, if the Blazers can, again, I I don't mean to just keep harping on defense, but the Blazers shouldn't be allowing an unreasonable amount of points to a Lakers team that started off the season really good, had some injuries, aren't doing quite as well now. So I would say if the Blazers can work a little bit with their defense now that Damian Lillard is back, maybe you chalk up the last two games to just him readjusting, coming back from injury and just say, okay, now I've had a couple games under our belt. We're playing what should be an inferior opponent. 
and maybe go back to that more aggressive style of defense. I think that is what I'd like to see. I think the Blazers offense is really going to take care of itself. The Lakers, I'm looking down their roster and looking at who they have who are like defensive impact players and don't see a whole lot of them. I mm, guess you could... they're pretty awful defense. Yeah, they're pretty bad. I mean, you could say that Mozgov can sometimes be okay defense, and Julius Julius Randle can also when he wants to be sometimes. But yeah, other but than that, not really. When's Mozgov going to play against the Blazers, though? That's just really bad matchup for him. Yeah, probably not. Um, so I mean, that Lakers game. I'm just again, I'm I'm going to look for say, okay, Dame, it's your third game back. We're going to go back to this more aggressive defense and see if they can make that work for him. So that'll be the number one thing I'll be looking for. So the, the more aggressive defense likes to force the ball out of like the best player's hands. Who is the player that we force the ball out of their hands? Is it Julius Randle? I think it's D'Angelo. He had 11 free throw attempts and converted on, on 10 of them. He was what really kept them in the game in that first quarter. I, I don't think you can let the opposing point guard get to the line more than 10 times per game. Yeah, that's fair. Also, that. Lakers bench, I'm just looking at this. I mean, Jordan Clarkson did most of the damage. The Lakers bench scored like almost 40 points in the Blazers. So, and in the Blazers bench, the Blazers bench has been not so great this year. So I, maybe if their second unit can just do what they're supposed to do. And if they have a lead to hold it, and if they're down, just don't let it get too out of control. I think that's reasonable as well. But yeah. I, I think you mentioned it. It's Lakers bench. That's what really worries me about this team. Lou Williams didn't have a good game, but I've watched the Lakers a lot this year. He scares the shit out of me if I'm an opposing team. He, his usage rate's absolutely bananas. When when he's in the game, he has the ball and he's handling it. He didn't have a good game uh, last week, but he might have a big game next, this this week. Yeah, we've all talked about the Lakers bench. I think it's the Blazers bench that has to come out to play. So two things I'm going to look for. One, can Alan Crabb continue to stay hot? He shot the ball unreal against the Pistons, a career-high 30 points, 5 for 5, perfect from downtown, 12 of 15 overall from the floor. He's scored in double figures in his last six appearances with the Trailblazers and has really started to live up to that, that contract, which Portland apparently had no doubts about matching. Also, you need to watch Damian Lillard. Yes, it's his third game back. But he feasts on no team more than the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, looking at his splits over his career, he averages more points against the Lakers than any other team, over 26 a night. And he also dishes out about seven and a half assists. If Dame can have a Dame night and we get a good production of crap, I think Portland wins this one. Not easily, but I think it's pretty comfortable. Those two things, in my opinion, have to happen. I think that's fair. And the Blazers, especially after losing a double overtime to the Pistons at home, have to be looking at this game as a must win. If they're interested in the playoffs, this is this. I mean, they're digging themselves in such such a large hole. This is pretty much as close to a must win as you can get halfway through the season. I'm, I'm going to go win for this week or for the for this game. Excuse me. That's fair. I am so torn on this game. I I think they should win this game. I thought they should have won the Detroit game. As much as it pains me, I, I'm seeing a loss. Uh, the, the Lakers are a team that probably want the playoffs more than the lottery pick. They're they're young. They don't need really, in their mind, any other pick. Um, they're in that range with Denver, Sacramento, New Orleans, Portland, fighting for that that eighth seed. They've already beat the uh, the Warriors once this year. Young teams just play better at home. Um how is Portland going to respond? We talked about in the last podcast that the Detroit game was really the litmus test for this defense. I don't really think they passed. 
I'm just not sold on this Blazers team wanting to move up in the playoffs like they continue to say. I know everybody's kind of the word around Rip City is, oh, we're playing better of late. We're really only three and three in our last six games and have won only four games in the last month. Uh, that really shocked me and kind of blew my mind to see that fact. Four wins in the past month. Um, I would love to see a win. I'll root like hell for them to beat the the, the hated Lakers, but I, I just I, I'm not sold on this team yet. And I think it it's really going to put this team in a bind because then you're you're staring at the face of a three game losing streak going into Cleveland. You made me have buyer's remorse on my uh, pick. I have buyer's remorse like a motherfucker right now, <laughs> <laughs> but I made the pick and I'll stick with it. But you I don't feel good. With it. I don't feel good about it one bit. But I, I... I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with a win and not to rehash everything we just said. But I think the Blazers are the more talented team, and I I do buy into the fact that they're starting to figure out whatever it is they need to figure out to be at least a reasonable team. So I'm gonna say that that Lakers game is gonna be kind of the first demarcation with Damian Lillard being back. Defense looks better, and then they get the win. That's my pick. And then Portland has a back-to-back at home against the defending champion Cavaliers, who essentially decided to get their head coach fired last year, the day after Christmas in Portland, putting forth a terrible performance when the Blazers went off. Crab set a then-season career-high 26 points. Portland played without Damian Lillard. Wasn't even in doubt. Uh, Portland completely manhandled Cleveland last year. I think the Cavs remember that. Um, they struggled with the Suns last night. They do look like a team that doesn't really give a shit about the regular season. They know they're going to make the finals regardless coming out of the East. If any of the big three rest, I think Portland has a chance. But regardless, Portland is going to be up for this game because of the opponent. And I think that's one thing you can give credit to this Blazers team is they really, outside of maybe the first half of the Dallas game, have looked like they've sleepwalked. Um, they're putting forth the effort. The effort's not there, but I think there's going to be a little extra juice in the RG Wednesday night um, for, for, for for LeBron and company. Yeah, that's fair. And the Cavaliers, that game are going to be coming off a road back-to-back. They will have just played the Utah Jazz, who are looking mighty, mighty fine after many years of people saying the Jazz are up and coming. They're actually doing it this year. You got all-star caliber Rudy Gobert is tearing it up. I think they just got you know, George Hill back from, from injury. Um, Utah's looking scary. And so Cleveland's going to be coming off of that game and then flying into Portland. So yeah, there might be some fatigue issues for Cleveland. I mean, depending on how that Utah game goes, if that Utah game for the Cavaliers ends up being kind of grindy and takes maybe more effort than they'd like it to, um, they may be tired and the Blazers are probably going to be looking to, I mean, one thing about this Blazers team, particularly last year was what was, what was the whole mantra was like, us versus them, you know, like hashtag never doubt, like, oh, you don't believe in us. So now we're going to, you know, all this stuff and that got them motivated and that's fine. So I think that the Blazers for, for bigger teams, I think that there's something about them. They showed in that Warriors game where they want to prove like they belong, even though they've had a bad season. I think that they're going to want to play particularly well against this Cleveland team. The Blazers don't match up all that well with Cleveland. I would actually say the Blazers match up slightly better against the Warriors than they do against the Cavaliers. Um, but yeah, I expect to see, I expect to see a spirited game if nothing else. Um, and we all know what the big question mark is. Is Kyle Korver going to play? Does it, does anyone know? Cause that trade's gotten hung up, right? Cause Mike Dunleavy doesn't want to report to the Hawks. And so Korver isn't allowed to play yet. Or what's, does anyone know the deal with that? Not to turn this into a cast podcast, but 
Uh, I'd be surprised if, if he plays. I mean, we're talking about the we're podcasting Monday night. We're talking about a Wednesday game. Very surprised if he plays. Um, I don't think he tips the scale in either way. I'm thinking of a win or a loss. The guy Portland needs to watch out for is Kevin fucking Love. Um, the Oof. dude made 11 of 14 field goal attempts in the first quarter, including 8 of 10 from downtown, finished with 40. And it was really enough to carry the Cavaliers um, all the way home. They won 137 to 125 earlier this season um, in Cleveland. But what people forget about that game is Dame had 40 himself. And he was going off against, against Kyrie. And he is a dude who can get hot. We saw him the first game after the All-Star break against the Warriors really take that game over and play with that swagger and chip on his shoulder that he was playing with earlier in this year. I think if we're going to see anything from this Blazer team going forward, it, it really has to start with you want to win in Los Angeles, first and foremost. But watch how they come out against the Cavaliers. If it looks like any other game, I would say something is probably up. If it looks like a playoff-type intensity from those guys from the jump, then you know this team, it, 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 they're, they're still afloat. They're still the life preservers around their best. They're not drowning. So body language is the number one thing I'm going to watch for. This needs to be a playoff-type atmosphere for the Trailblazers. Totally agree. And two quick things about Kevin Love. One, if I hear one more person say that he is from Portland, I'm going to flip it from Lake Oswego. Lake Oswego, not Portland. And then number two, Kevin Love's actually been playing way better this season looking a lot more like the player he was with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Who knows if that's an attitude thing If LeBron James has finally invited him into his Instagram photos or what the deal is that they're just utilizing him a little bit better in Cleveland. But yeah, I mean, obviously Cleveland is a tough matchup. Uh, I, I actually do think that Kyle Korver, I, I, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying that Kyle Korver tips the scales in any given game, but boy, I mean, with Jared Smith being out for however many months, having someone who can just hit a three is, I mean, I mean, he's not even having the best year of his last couple of years. He's still, I think, hitting like 40% from deep. So yeah, and I agree with you. I think if the Blazers don't get up emotionally for this game, I think there definitely is something something wrong. And it's interesting to think about, <clears throat> if you go back to your prediction for the Lakers game, if they do lose that Lakers game, are they going to be deflated for the Cavaliers? Or are they going to be even more motivated to try to win that game? So I definitely agree with you that body language is going to be big for that Cavs game. The number one thing I'm watching for is pick and pop and pick and roll defense. I mean, Kevin Love scored the most points in a quarter, basically doing a pick and pop, and no one followed him to the three-point line. That needs to happen. We need to defend all five players. So that's the number one thing I'm looking at is the, the pick and pop and pick and roll defense. I'm, yeah, and if we're talking pick and pop and pick and roll, that means our big is going to be out in the perimeter. That puts the onus on not only Mason Plumley but our guards to go in there in defensive rebound. We cannot give a team like Cleveland extra opportunities. So definitely watch the second chance points. Watch the offensive glass. Can Portland control the backboard? That will give them um, a puncher's chance in this game, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's fair. And the other thing is that the Blazers, you know, whether or not they have a new defensive scheme or whether or not they're just putting more effort on defense, I think that you will definitely see a focus on Kevin Love specifically. The Blazers had to have been a little bit embarrassed by that record-breaking first quarter that he had when they played last time. I mean, that was the kind of the zenith of the of the media chatter about the Blazers' defense is so terrible, they're giving up career nights to folks. And sure, Kevin Love can shoot, but it was just it was an embarrassment. So I think they're going to see an extra special focus on Kevin Love uh, from the Blazers. I don't know why, 
but in are the most ways your shot? possible. Are you taking your shot? This right isn't now? really. This isn't really. This isn't my shot. Okay. I think they win, but I think, as Brandon mentioned, Utah is going to give Cleveland a hell of a fight. Cleveland's already up five five games on Toronto. Cleveland wins or uh, Portland wins. Portland's going to win because Cleveland's going to rest some players. They're on the. They're on a back to back. Do you want to borrow? You want to borrow my hot take oven mitts because that's a that's a crispy hot take. He was the one who pre- uh, predicted the Blazers would beat the Warriors after the All Star break. So when he takes those wild swings and stuff, sometimes they connect and go out of the fucking park. Well, that's the thing about a home run swing is that if you connect, it's 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 gonna he, really. He's Adam Dunning it. He Adam Dunned it last year. <laughs> but wouldn't that be the most Blazers thing possible to lose to the Lakers and then beat the Cavaliers? Yes, that's exactly yeah. what this team is this year. That's the I, only reason or basis for me predicting a win. That's fair, and that would be that would be very Blazers. It's like you go five hundred over two games to the Lakers and the Cavs, and the game that you lose is the Lakers. Yes, very Blazers. <laughs> I, I think that the Blazers go out like gangbusters in the first half, have a lead, and then the Cavs just methodically pick us apart and get the win. Has has LeBron James? Has he rested at all this year on like back to backs? Has he been doing that? He's definitely rested. They've all rested. They've taken turns like Kyrie rest a game, K Lovell rest a game. Uh, Tyron Lue is not messing around this year. I think he knows what's standing at the end of the line for that team. I'll I'll tell you. I think there's a high chance if that's the case that somebody does for the for the Cavaliers rest against the Blazers. And I also think that there's something weird about if the other team is resting someone, I almost feel worse about the Blazers' chances. I almost feel better about the Blazers' chances if they're facing a really good team who's at full strength. Just, again, that psychological element to it, like, it doesn't make any practical sense, but I just had that feeling. I don't know. We'll see. No, that's definitely the case. I remember a game a few years ago, Kobe Bryant was resting for the Lakers, and they came out and beat us. Um, I think, and it was reported that the Blazers just heard about it right before tip-off, and there was, like, a dejection in the locker room. So that's completely true. You want to play the best and you want to beat the best. So if they're not showing up there, are you going to have that same playoff intensity that we're talking about? Um, But moving forward to the last home game before that Eastern Conference stretch is a Friday the 13th game at home against the Orlando Magic, Um, a team that should be much better than than their record is currently considering they went after Serge Ibaka, but they are not even... um, sniffing the Eastern Conference playoffs. They're 16 and 23. They are actually better on the road than they are at home. They are 9 and 10 on the road, 7 and 13 at home. That is extremely weird to me, especially for a young team. Um, they've got a lot of draft picks. Aaron Gordon hasn't been as good as um, advertised. Hazonia hasn't lived up to the hype yet. Elford Payton is still trying to find his footing. Are they moving Vucevic? Are they not moving Vucevic? They signed Biombo when they already had it's just a cluster. They they are almost like what the Sixers are. They've got too many different pieces that don't really mesh well. But one guy who does give us fits is the aforementioned Vucevic, a double-double machine. Stage, what does Portland have to do to keep this dude from scoring down low? I think this is the perfect game for us to send the, the double, the, the aggressive defense, get it out of his hands. I mean, he's not starting. He's coming off the bench, something that I've been – championing with having a elite offensive big come off the bench against second unit guys, and they're doing it. I mean, I, I just think that this team does not have the pieces for Frank Vogel to coach well, and it's showing he's not one of those elite guys that 
creates a a, a scheme around the players he has. He needs the, the players that he likes to be a good coach. So this is just a bad scenario for him. Um, yeah, I, I just think we'll send the be aggressive, have the our athletic wings blitz Voos uh, when he gets the ball. I mean, that's what happened with the Marcus Cat, Demarcus. Don't see why it wouldn't we wouldn't do it with Voos. Yeah, when I look at the Orlando Magic, I see a franchise in a really weird spot because I mean, think about some of the moves they've made lately. They gave away Mo Harkless for a ham sandwich. It's working out pretty well for the Blazers. They gave up Tobias Harris for a couple of ham sandwiches. Uh, it's working out pretty well for Detroit. Uh, their coach, Scott Skiles, just kind of left suddenly uh, for no reason. <laughs> I guess players were sick of him yelling at them all the time. And they got Frank Vogel. They were supposed to be a good defensive team. They got Biombo. They got Ibaka. And then, you know, Vucevic is getting pissed that he's coming off the bench. And so this team, it's just, again, it's a bizarre team. I would, I would, I would venture to say that there might be some internal, if not strife, then at least not like perfect alignment from ownership all the way down. They're still trying to figure out what, who they are and what they're supposed to do. And you're right. Like these pieces aren't necessarily great for a, a Vogel style team. Right. But they're making the best of the, what they have. Um, yeah. Do you think I, they I, signed Biombo to appease Frank Vogel? Cause that seems like a very Vogel move to get Bismack. That is, that is a, a, a that's so Vogel for sure. Yeah. No. <laughs> and that could have been what it was. And I, I don't know how strong Vogel's connection is to the Orlando front office. Um, but I mean that stuff like that definitely does happen, especially when you have a coach who has, you know, somewhat of a pedigree and maybe you want to appease him a little bit, make him feel like he's in control of something. But yeah, this, this magic game, I honestly, I mean, I hate to say this. And of course, as soon as I say it, the Blazers are going to go out and lose. I don't see this magic team giving the Blazers a whole lot of fits. Um, I, I mean, if we're going to predictions, I'm going to say the Blazers are definitely going to win this game. And this might be one of the rare games. I think the Blazers have only had a handful of games that are like true blowouts, like, 20 plus points this is one of those games i could see the blazers like racking up like a 30 point lead and seeing like a ton of like layman and like Connaughton, maybe even quarterman sneaking onto the court there but um i'm just i'm gonna go with the blazers blowout in this one personally yeah what's weird about the blazers is they won four times in december and their last two wins in december were both blowouts 102 89 against the kings and then the beautiful game 114 to 95 against westbrook and the thunder um, on December 13th. So it's like when they win, they're blowing people out, but they're not winning enough. Um, I think this has to be a blowout. This cannot be a game where Portland grinds to get a win. Uh, yes, I know they all count the same in, in the win-loss column, but psychologically, especially for the fan base, you can't keep spouting that, yes, we're going to contend, we're in win-now mode, and beat the Magic by two fucking points. You have to put it on this team because this is a team you should not give up 100 points to. You let you play off Alfred Payton, you make him shoot. You play off Biombo just like teams play off Mason Plumlee, except Biombo's not the distributor that Plumlee is. And most importantly, you take advantage of their bench. Outside of Vucevic, they have got nobody. You better not let Jeff Green go off on you. You didn't in the Clippers series last year. He shouldn't do it this year. Hazonia is a young player who has no business coming on the road in a hostile environment and putting up points. DJ Augustine, a nice backup point guard. But Portland has the strongest. I mean, bench. he started a lot this year. He was their starter for a long time. I mean, I, I, the two players I am scared of is DJ and Evan Fournier. I don't. Th- I I think those two have a potential of going off because we don't seem to like to play defense against opposing teams' guards. Yeah, yeah and I'm looking at them. 
and they start Aaron Gordon at the three, which is really weird to me. He, I, I wouldn't, he is, does not scream small forward to me. I think Mo Harkless needs to win that matchup. I think as great of an athlete as Aaron Gordon is, Mo needs to take him off the dribble. We need to see Mo do those back cuts that he's so profound at. This needs to be a big Harkless game, especially against a team that said, we don't even think you're worth a late second round pick that we're likely never going to see. I want to see angry Mo. I want to see New York Mo Friday night in the Rose Garden. Do you think Aaron Gordon's player comparison is Alfaro Camino? Both are hyper-athletic. One dunks better, but they're pretty bad three-point shooters, but hyper-athletic that can play defense? It sounded weird It sounded weird to start, but once you think about it, it's not the worst comparison. As soon as you said that, I just had this weird vision of like Alfred Camino like doing like the sit-in-the-chair dunk at the dunk contest yeah, and but, just getting super freaked out. I mean, Alfred can throw it down when he wants to. It just yeah, doesn't think, happen as like it isn't as creative as Aaron Gordon, but they're still I think that's, similar players. Yeah, that's a fair comparison. And honestly, I mean, again, you look at this Magic team; they have a mediocre defense, a terrible offense. The Blaze, I mean, it, it, their their point differential is actually kind of a little bit worse than than their record. And actually, the Blazers are in the same boat. Don't tell anyone that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think this should be a win for the Blazers and there's just not a whole lot on this team. Maybe it's because they're Eastern conference team. Maybe it's because I don't watch them enough, but there's just not a whole lot on this team besides, you know, maybe Fournier that, that really, that really scares me in this matchup. Cause of DFS, I probably watched them five times. It's brutal. Don't, don't, don't subject yourself to it more than twice a year. I mean, I, it's bad when I've watched a team enough and I know the songs that they're going to do for their cheerleaders. So, I, I mean, I, I don't have fun when Evan Fournier is on my da- daily fantasy roster. That's for damn sure. I mean, for people that are complaining about the Blazers and, and us criticizing it too, the Blazers don't really have what is, what is their identity outside of Jamie Lillard and CJ McCollum. Orlando Magic looks like you just picked up a bunch of players and threw them in a basket and picked them out one by one with no consideration whatsoever for how these pieces might fit together. I mean, it's just, it's again, they were supposed to be a decent defensive team, but it's just... It's a really, it's a really odd fit. It really, they, they strike me more as a collection of players than almost any team in the league. It's not even that they're the worst team necessarily had the lowest amount of talent. It's just that it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, they're, they're, they're years away and I, I kind of feel bad for their fans. What really surprises me and what is my X factor is points in the paint. You would think a team with a big starting line of Aaron Gordon, Serge Ibaka and Bismack Biombo would really pr- protect that paint. They're actually 26th in opponents' points in the paint. They give up over 45 a night. Portland needs to get busy. Don't be afraid of those shot blockers. We saw Damon CJ really early on in the season go after guys like Gobert um, and DeAndre Jordan and have success on a nightly basis. Portland needs to not get complacent just because they see the magic on the schedule and play lazy basketball and, and jack up a lot of threes. Do a lot of pick and roll. Get those bigs in motion but really take them off the dribble and look for your teammates cutting because the statistics show you could score inside on this team. Uh, That's what I want to see from this team. And Portland really has their most success when they go inside and out, not the other way around. I just want to reiterate something you just said, which is totally true. The Blazers, particularly Damian Lillard, need to attack their shot blockers. Damian Lillard has been so much better finishing at the rim this year. And it's because a lot of what he's doing, you saw him do it against Gobert, is just go right into the shot blocker and then like contort his body and like get up around it rather than allowing them to block it from the weak side, just go straight into it. 
and, and attack. So I totally agree. I mean, that's the best way that you can neutralize a really good shot blocking uh, defending centers is to go straight at their chest. Damian Lillard has been doing more of that this year and CJ McCollum, I think has as well. So that's, yeah, I totally agree with you. That's what I would do too. And Bismack Biombo is a foul machine. Get him into foul trouble. And Vucevic has good numbers off the bench for defensive ratings, but he is not a good defender. I would get Bismack into foul trouble and see what we can do against Vucevic. And I I think it's going to be a easy win for us. I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but I got a I got a pretty substantial win as well. Uh, so Blazers better not let us down. And the final game we are going to preview is a MLK Day afternoon special. So kicks off a four-game road trip in Washington against the Wizards. It will be 11 a.m. Pacific time. Um, and it is the first game of a very important road trip for the Blazers. You're talking Wizards, Hornets, Sixers, and Celtics. At worst, Portland has to go 2-2. Two and two. They have had too many offers on road trips and you're you're automatically thinking boston's going to be a tough game charlotte's going to be a tough game well nick's nick's knees it's it's still going to be a tough game for this team i think but philly you got to think of that as a win i don't know if they're going to but this wizards game really sets the tone it could be you're either going to get a one and three trip or you could possibly get three and one depending on this game so this I know we talked about the Lakers game um, earlier as being a must win, and hopefully they do win that. But if if they do win, the way Portland just really dug themselves a hole, they're going to have a must win game almost every week. And I think it really starts with the Wizards. But it seems like we always get dealt these MLK games that are super early, or we're always playing Toronto super early. And Mm -hmm. for the life of me, I can't remember a time Portland has ever won one of these games. And John Wall is going absolutely bananas recently like he'll go for 50 then 30 and 15 assists he's been fucking destroying shit recently so i mean that's the number one thing we have to defend is john wall and he is one pain in the ass to stop because of his quickness and he's also a beast in the passing lanes. Uh, mm-hmm. This really, th- this whole Wizards team is amazing on the break. They they score about 15 points per game on the break. That's sixth best in the entire league. And it's something Portland's been prone to. They have a tendency to make lazy passes, especially off that that weave they run at the top. Um, we've had a tendency of balls going off our own feet, uh, running into our own players. This is a game where Portland really has to value every single possession because not only is it an early start, but you're on the road and you're playing against a team who thrives on getting easy buckets. So I'm looking at this game and thinking Portland really needs to limit their turnovers to about eight or nine to have a chance because they're not good enough defensively to make up for all of the fast break points they could potentially give up. So that's really my X factor is are those fast break points. That's a good X factor. And I mean, you look, you're saying eight or nine turnovers, the Blazers can maybe, you know, allow uh, the Wizards are second in the league and they force 14 turnovers a game. So you're totally right about that. The other thing that's kind of fun about this game, I mean, you have Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, you have John Wall, Bradley Beal, another one of the league's more dynamic backcourts to see them play together is going to be super fun. And the Wizards started out this season as they do many seasons rather disappointingly i feel like the wizards have been like a mediocre team like for like a thousand for, years forever even back when gilbert and antoine jameson and cron butler were there they could never get past lebron they just have always you're right they've never been good since i've been a fan of the nba and that's yeah. like 26 27 years so that's incredible 
And it's, I mean, far be it for me as a Blazers fan. I mean, the Blazers didn't get out of the first round for like 700 years as well. So, I mean, but at least we have a couple finals appearances under our belt. You have, yes. We have a championship, too. I mean, I don't, don't know. The, if, don't the Bullets oh, have one? I, no, like no, the, no, I jumped into a thing where yep, I don't know. Yep, Sage, <laughs> you, I don't you know. took a leap I, and you didn't know what was down below. I, Never hey, dig straight down, man. Never dig straight down. Trust me. I, I've, I've, dug, I've jumped into a bunch of holes in this podcast. The beautiful thing is. I can edit this shit out because I'm the producer. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's so this Wizards... the year the Blazers were injury riddled. So they won 77 78. I believe they beat the Sonics, if I am correct. That sounds about right to me. And that's, you know, but, so they started the Wizards, started the year really badly. They've been doing better as of late. But I mean, when I'm clicking through their schedule, I see a couple of the wins that they've had have been kind of cupcake wings i mean they won against the pacers and the nets and the timberwolves and then they just won yesterday sunday against the bucks but the bucks didn't have Giannis Antetokounmpo, so that's not really the full bucks team and then they lost to the rockets and they also lost to the dallas mavericks who are still one of the team's worst leagues so this wizards team is not super ultra good although that 11 a.m start is i don't know how travel like biomechanically affects players but you've got to assume that that early of a game on the East Coast, because this is at Washington, right? Um, that early yes. of a game. Yeah, I mean, so maybe that plays into it a little bit, too, for the Blazers might feel a little lethargic or something. Um, but yeah, again, I, the thing I'd be most looking forward to is seeing DJ, or, sorry, uh, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum uh, against Bradley Beal and and John Wall. I feel like that's just a matchup made in heaven. Yeah, and I think... Outside of fast break points, watch out for Markeith Morris. We saw his twin brother have a really horrific shooting night for the Pistons, only to hit like three, three or four straight down the stretch. Yeah, he did make those stupid post-ups. Um, and the Morris brothers always give us trouble, especially Markeith. Um, at the four, where Portland is known to lose that, that, that positional battle on a nightly basis. So fast break points, Markeith Morris is what I'm looking for. I don't have a super good feeling about this game. Uh, I'm going to go a loss. I think it's going to be competitive. It's going to be close. But like you said, you factor in the first game of a trip, the holiday, the early start. They're playing better. And to be honest, they're a good home team. They're 14-6. and six. They've won six of their last 10 games. And even though they're 18-18 and 18 and eighth in the East, the fifth place team in the East has 18 losses too. The Hawks have 16 losses at four and the Hawks are blowing it up. So if I'm Washington, I can see myself potentially going after home court advantage in the first round. Portland's really just kind of, uh, you don't even know what's realistic for them. So I think you're going to see Washington come out and really play with that chip on their shoulder. I, I, I agree with pretty much all of that. The one thing that's fortunate for the Blazers is that they do get a couple games off before this game. So even though it's on the East coast, even though it's 11 AM Pacific, they're going to have some time to adjust. And I, I do think that's a real thing um, on paper. Both of these teams are pretty comparable ish. I would say the wizards probably have slightly more of an identity right now. And the Blazers do are still struggling to find theirs and Washington being at home. I would probably give them a little bit of an edge in this game, so I'm going to say the Blazers are going to lose. I agree with that. I think the Blazers will lose. John Wall scares me. I don't think we have someone to, that can defend Marcin Gortat either. So yeah, yeah, I think it's it's, it's a it's a 55-45. I'm in favor of a loss. A win would not surprise me, but it is four game stretch. I think Portland needs to quit with this two and two stuff. 
I mean, they've done one and three before. They really need to start winning two out of three, three out of four, if they're serious about making a push to the playoffs. I saw on Twitter the other day that if the Thunder kept at their, or they just played 500 basketball the rest of the way, Portland would have to exceed their win total from last year, which was 44 wins. Currently, they're at 16, and we're almost halfway there. So it's going to take a magical run. It, it's not impossible, but they really dug themselves into a deep hole. And it starts this week. It starts tomorrow night against the Lakers. And will they bounce back from that heartbreaking loss against Detroit? I think that will say a lot about the current makeup of this team. And I think these next few weeks could determine how Neil Olshay really manufactures that trade market as well. Are we going to be a buyer or are we going to be a seller? Um, I think that about wraps it up for today's episode. Brandon, thank you once again for joining us. Uh, let our fans know where they can can follow you. Yeah, for sure. You can follow me on Twitter at GoldnerPDX. Uh, I did a little uh, contributor thing for bballbreakdown.com. So you should check out their work. They do great work. And do want to give a shout out to everybody, all the men and women at Blazer's Edge. Um, you are all fantastic people and just want to give a shout out there. And so uh, thank you, Sage and Dustin, for having me on. Appreciate it. Of course. And you can find this podcast um, on iTunes. Subscribe to it. Give us that five-star rating. We're also on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. Hit us up on social. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Holy Backboard. Uh, active during the games. And I think that wraps it up. Yep. Thanks again, Brandon, for joining us. It was a great episode. And as always, beat LA. Let's go!